Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. All right. Talk Recorded live. Hello, everyone. My name is Amanda, and I welcome you all to another wonderful episode of AGP. Now, Force Friday is over. Labor Day is over. So no more wearing the white or whatever that cliche is. I don't know. I don't listen to cliches. But the one thing that makes me very excited is the Halloween stuff has started coming out, which means tis my favorite time of the year. So they ruin it with Christmas. And I got a little bit of a jump start on my Halloween celebrations when I was given a comic from a good friend of mine, Mr. Andy Cordy, called Cemetery Plots. And I am honored to have the writer of this wonderful book with me today, Mr. Dan Johnson. Hello, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Amanda, and um, pleasure to be here. Oh, it is a wonderful joy and honor to have you here because I have been given a book that you happen to be that you happen to be the writer of, and I got as giddy as a little schoolgirl reading it. The nostalgia came flooding back that you made me run straight over to my little DVD collection, you know, my little 5,000 movies, and pull out my Tales from the Crypt and pull out my Creepshow movies because you made me that nostalgic with this amazing comic that you came out with, Cemetery Plots, number one, from Empire Comics Lab. Well, thank you. Well, we were definitely shooting for an old-school feel, uh, EC Comics and the old Warren Comics, and uh, Creepshow was definitely an influence in there as well. I can definitely feel that. I really do feel, the, you know, the mix of the old Tales of the Crypt, the old, like, DC monster-type comics, creep show, and um, even the fact that you have the short story from um, Larry Underwood, uh, what was it, uh, Dead Man's Warning. It's just a brilliant comic. Yeah. Uh, for well, anybody who doesn't know anything about this amazing comic, because I heard through the grapevine that the first issue has already sold out originally. It has indeed. Uh, our print copy has sold out. We did an um, initial run, and they literally went like hotcakes. The, um, I premiered it with our cover artist, Rodney Bennett, at a show in North Carolina. Uh, I thought I'd have some left over, and then we sold out within about four hours. <laughs> that has got to be one of the greatest feelings ever. It is an amazing feeling. Um, and Rodney, God bless him, this is the first thing he's had published. And he had not had a copy of the comic book until he got to the show. And it was amazing because every few minutes he'd have somebody hand him a copy and he had to stop and look at the cover and just pinch himself and say, that's my cover. And I'm like, yeah, that's your cover, brother. You did it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for anybody who hasn't had an opportunity to either A, read any of the amazing reviews that are out there or get a copy of the comic itself, would you please enlighten anybody who listens today or into the near future of what this comic is about? Well, uh, Cemetery Plots is basically all about good old-fashioned horror. Uh, mainly what we want to do is we want to uh, tell tales that are meant to educate our readers, and we educate our readers by scaring the heck out of them. Um, 
what I like doing is I always like referring back to the old EC comics because the EC books always had they were they were always morality stories. It's like I told people, uh, good thing bad things happen to good people at EC comics, but even worse things happen to the bad people who did the bad things to the good people. And uh, as our as our uh, host, the old man, is always telling the the kids, um, the stories are there to educate you. They're cautionary tales. Basically, don't be like these people, and you'll live to see sunrise. Uh, but as I said, it's all about fun. We, um, I, I, I managed to get a great crew of folks um, on board, uh, artists and other writers that um, love the horror genre too. And we just said uh, we want to do a horror comic, and we want it to be the kind of story that we we liked, the kind of stuff that we used to like when we were kids, and the kind of stuff that the majors just aren't doing anymore. Because uh, I'm like, I want somebody to be able to take up the book and it's like, wow, there's a complete story. It's like, no, there's several complete stories. And you don't have to buy a next issue. You don't have to buy a trade. It's all right there, right there at your fingertips. Oh, yeah. And I will honestly tell you, you guys pulled it off amazingly. Um, one of the great things about a lot of horror stories is people think that they're supposed to constantly scare you. But one of the great things of the classics, which goes along with this, is that one of the odd things about horror stories is they can actually sometimes make you laugh at them, and you find yourself chuckling more than you would expect you would at the books like this, especially with great people like Dio Man or some of the storylines of people getting their just desserts, and that's what makes comics like these absolutely fabulous. Well, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you can't always do straight scares. You, you've got to have a little bit of humor in there. And plus, too, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of horror host um, not just the ones in the comic books, but the, the ladies and gentlemen who host horror movies uh, or used to host them on a weekly basis on uh, local television. Um, in fact, Larry Underwood, who wrote uh, the short story in our, in our comic, is a horror host out of Nashville, uh, Dr. Gangrene. And I met him by just dropping him a line and saying, hey, I like horror hosts. And he's like, hey, I like people who like horror hosts. And we, we just struck up a, uh, we struck up a friendship that's lasted about 15 years now. Amazing. That is absolutely fabulous. Now, one of the things that first catches your eye about this comic is definitely the cover. It is gorgeous beyond belief with the colors and everything. But one of the things that, before I even get to read the comic, I'm already laughing because right there in the little bottom corner is the approved stamp that says approved by the Empire Comics Lab Authority. Yeah. We, we will not release any comic book that doesn't have that stamp on it. If we're not proud of the work we do, then we won't release it to the public. Listen, but I just, again, I, it just goes back to reminiscing. Everything about this book makes you reminisce about some of the older comics and some of the things that you remember as a child. And I remember, you know, when I started really getting into comics and people were like, you know, do you know what this stamp means? And on this comic or that comic, and learning that. And as soon as I saw that, I died laughing. Well, we thought it was a, a nice little gag, especially considering the fact that uh, this was probably one of those books that would have been, you know, if it had been back in the 1950s, this would have been one of those comics that would have been the cause for the comics code. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we had to do that as just a little bit of a homage, just a little, you know, there you go, our, we know our history. <laughs> um, and it's kind of, in, in kind of a way, it's sort of a little salute to all the great horror comics that died in the 50s when the comics code came in. Um, uh, uh, gotcha. If, if, anyone, if anyone's a comics historian, 
the 1950s was a, a golden era for horror comic books, not just EC, but uh, Charlton was coming out, uh, Avon was coming out. Um, there were so many wonderful publishers and so many incredible, gruesome stories that were being told. And then with one sweep of the hand with the comics code, these books just vanished almost overnight. And so you got 1960s Batman. Yeah. <laughs> not, not saying anything bad about it, but that's just showing you where it went. It's like, oh, my gosh, these stories are awesome. And then you get 1960s Batman. It's like, well, there goes all my blood and gore. But yeah. I've noticed throughout the years, we went back to the blood and gore because there are so many great horror comics like this one, uh, 68 out there. I don't think the code uh, works anymore. <laughs> it doesn't. In fact, I know, I, DC and Marvel not, aren't even using it. I, even Archie, they're not even using it anymore. No, they're it, not. It's just, um, it, it's just a very, it, it was a nice thought, uh, but it's just an outdated idea. I, I think nowadays with... Uh, so many other entertainment uh, opportunities out there, video, streaming, uh, just home, entertain- home, uh, home entertainment options with uh, streaming, uh, video, Internet connections. It seems kind of weird just to have uh, comics being so heavily censored. And Very. especially nowadays since it doesn't really seem like they're aiming them for the kids anymore anyway, which is kind of sad, but you know, it's, it's changing times. Everything's always changing. We see it more and more every day. When the number one bestseller happens to be one of the number one cartoons on television, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. It's just the way of the world today. But if you really think about it, it may not be as different because for me, the thing that got me into comics again was cartoons. For me personally, because I was a G.I. Joe fan. Marvel had G.I. Joe. I got that comic, which was funny because I went straight from G.I. Joe into D.C. and became a D.C. fanatic. I, I went straight to DC. I, I dabbled with Marvel every now and then, but DC was always the comic book company for me. I I just loved the superheroes. Plus, I loved the fact that they were one of the few out there actually doing horror stories and doing horror comics. Um, like, the old, well, the old Charlton comics, too. I mean, Hi. it's just, you know... Well, I, well, that's one of the shame nowadays. There's so many... The big publishers, DC especially, Marvel, they're focused more on doing just superhero books. And there's just very little attention paid to other genres, not just the horror genre, but the Western genre, um, just straight action adventure genre, even even humor. Uh, there's just not a lot of attention paid to it, and there's just so many great stories that are just not being told, at least by the majors. And that's, that's where I think something like um, Empire Comics Lab kind of comes in, and we, we pick up the slack a little bit. We're, we're picking up those stories that no one else is willing to tell, and we're happy to do it, because I, I figure... If it's horror, it entertains me. If it's comedy, it entertains me. If it's superheroes, it entertains me. All I'm looking for is a good story. And again, that's what we're looking for is just to put out the best stories we can and the best product. With some really great stories. I have to say my two favorite stories in this, the one that made me go, oh, no, 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 no. It had to be three-way. Yeah. Three-way has been the one that has gotten the most response. And believe it or not, that was actually the first story we did. (laughs) Uh, what happened was is that Empire Comics Club it actually started as a dare from uh, a gentleman named Bill Nichols Uh, Bill got a bunch of us online in a Facebook page and he said I want to make comics you guys want to make comics and what happened was we just for about two or three months everybody was sitting around going what do we want to do and I'm like well let's do horror 
And what happened was a buddy of mine, Steve Casper, that I met through the Facebook page, he said, let's, let's just do this thing. What have you got? And I turned him out some ideas, and Freeway was one of them. That's the one he gravitated towards. And within about a month or so, Steve presented me the three pages. And I was just blown away because I just thought he did a fantastic job. And we showed it to everybody in the group, and we said, this is what we're going to do. This is the kind of stuff we want. And a lot of the folks were like, yeah, that's, that's great. That's awesome. And that just sparked ideas. People were like, well, what if I do this? And what if I do that? And I got this idea. And I got that idea. And uh, from there, it just uh, just kind of blossomed. Um, the werewolf story uh, that's in there, uh, Unfaithful, that's, uh, that's by uh, Al Albury, who's one of our writers. And Al just came to me and he said, I've got this great idea for a werewolf story and it's a little bit different. And I said, okay, pitch it to me. And I was blown away by it. And um, one of the other stories is in there, the Talking Head, uh, the, um, talking head story. Uh, that actually came oh, out because the artist for that, um, Gary O'Donnell, basically said, I want to do anything but Talking Heads. And I said, okay, I'll give you a story about actual Talking Heads. <laughs> 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 and, and they're br- they're all brilliant, just unfaithful. That amazing twist at the end, and especially when Dio Man has to say what he has to say, and I'm like, wait a minute, he's right. Wait, oh my gosh, let me reread this one over again because he's so totally right. Like seriously, how uh, the twist is such a great twist, and then when you read the context after it from the host of the comic, which I have, which I want to get into him a little bit. You just want to read it again because it makes perfect sense on that twist never really should have happened, but there it is, and it's an amazing story. So congratulations, Mr. Albury, because you get one of my favorite stories in this comic. Al did a fantastic job. And uh, like I said, we're talking to him now about uh, another uh, story coming up. If we can't get in number two, we're going to try to get in number three. Uh, but Al's definitely definitely one of the writers I said that uh, if I continue this, I want I want him on board. Because he's got some great ideas, he's got some uh, great imagination, and a real flair for storytelling. And uh, oh, like, like I said, the entire crew—I'm just—I'm real proud of all of them. Like I said, uh, Gary, who did the uh, artwork for uh, Talking Heads and also for uh, Unfaithful, did a superb job. Uh, Eric Bowen, who did the uh, artwork for the zombie story that's in the end, the uh, Rest in Pieces—that's actually his first published uh, artwork. Wow. Now, that is, congratulations, Eric. Yeah. And, of course, we've also got uh, Chomp by uh, Rob Gant. Uh, Rob did a fantastic job on that one, too. And, uh, like I said, I just look, I look through it, and I'm just, uh, I'll be honest, I, I am amazed that um, I got to work with these incredible people that just put this amazing book together. And so, like I said, everybody just came together. Everybody just pitched in where they could. Uh, towards the end, we were needing folks to do inking and doing uh, lettering. And then uh, Dave Hearn, who's our um, editor-in-chief, and Andy Cordy, who's our uh, business manager, they were pitching in, uh, helping out with the inking and the lettering, uh, just so we could get it out in time. And uh, it just—it really was a, a, a group effort. And uh, Well, shout out to Andy Cordy for bringing this one to my attention. Well, I'm glad Andy did. Like, well, Andy's a good guy. <laughs> he Andy's is a really guy. good friend of he is an awesome, awesome guy, very talented, too. Yes, he is. I actually have all three of his books of the manor. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> good stuff. That's some good stuff. Now, 
there is this character, like any good uh, comic that goes along this type of genre, when it goes into horror anthologies, and, pe- and like I said before, you know, this really does remind you a lot of Creepshow, Tales from the Crypt, and those guys have very iconic type hosts that bring you from one story to the next and so on. You have an amazing host within this comic called Dio Man. And yep. he was created by you and Steve Casper. Where did you two come up with the idea of this guy? Well, actually, what happened was I had perceived D.O. as being uh, the perfect person. Uh, well, actually, what happened was with, um, when we first started out, we thought to ourselves, what would make a good horror host? And I always thought somebody who was like a night watchman at like a cemetery. And the idea was basically that this is a guy who knows where all the bodies are buried, literally. <laughs> And uh, the idea is basically Dio is the um, uh, the night guard at the cemetery that he runs, where all the stories take place, or um, basically all the victims are buried at, or most of the victims are buried at. Um, and like I said, the, uh, the cemetery, uh, River Shore Cemetery, is sort of a tip of the hat uh, to the character of Sharon and the River Styx, uh, the carrier of the dead. And I've always told people that I always imagined Dio being the original um, uh, ferryman for the dead, uh, the person who brought him over, and basically you talk. You find out, well, how did you get here? What did you do to land you, land you in Hades? And he's, he's that guy. He, he knows everything. He knows everything about everybody. He knows how everybody has died horribly and gruesomely, and he loves telling these stories. He just loves letting everyone know everyone else's business. <laughs> I, I just well, like the fact that he was this this wrinkled up old man that just looks ancient, uh, but he's got a um, you know he's got a uh, you know spring in his step, and um, we weren't able to really showcase it in this issue, uh, but we've got stories um, planned that are set like in the past, in the future, different time periods, and he loves costumes, he loves playing uh, playing dress up uh, to introduce the stories, and the more goofier the outfits, the better. Very nice. Now, I know that you mentioned a little bit earlier that, you know, you're talking about issue two, issue three. You did drop to me um, a little while ago that you were thinking about doing a Kickstarter to help raise funds for the second issue of Cemetery Plots. Where are you along in those process? Uh, well, let's see. Right now, the Kickstarter is about ready to go. We are currently awaiting approval from the Kickstarter project. Um, Andy and uh, Dave have really masterminded this. Uh, Hopefully, it is going to be up and running by the end of the week, and people can start to contribute. Uh, The goal this time is uh, $3,500, and that is to pay for the cost of printing, but also to pay for our artists and writers uh, so that uh, we can actually get back to the folks who contributed to the magazine. And that way, they get a little something for uh, for the work that they've done. Because believe me, they work hard, and we want to make sure they get paid fairly for it. Any secrets to some of the award, the rewards that people might get? Like maybe those of us that couldn't get issue one might be able to get that as one of the rewards with issue two. Well, now I, I did want I did want to say that if uh, you have not had a co- chance to get a copy of the hard copy of uh, Cemetery Plots One, you can go to our website, which is EmpireComicsLab.com, and you can still order a digital copy. That's only for ninety nine cents. Nice. But, yeah. Um, as for the Kickstarter project, uh, this is the things that uh, were already being discussed. Uh, for a dollar, we give you a thank you in the second issue of uh, Cemetery Plots. We'll give you a shout-out. It's like a personal thank you 
for helping us get here. Issue number two will get you a thank you and a digital copy. Uh, $3 will get you a thank you and a print copy. And from there, we're doing uh, signed copies of scripts. Um, we're talking about doing uh, personalized sketches of the old man. Um, like I told the guys, I'm more than happy to, to offer up scripts from the uh, from myself in the first issue and the second issue. So if you're a big fan of Three Ways, then you may actually get a chance to get an autographed uh, copy of the script. Nice. And you've uh, got my dog so excited. She's over there barking and growling about it. She can't wait to get a copy. And um, like I said, we do what we want to do for the Kickstarter is this way we can actually do a bigger print run, so we can actually get the book out to a lot more people. Uh, I'll be honest; uh, I think we were all kind of holding our breath to see if we could actually sell the first issue. And then when we sold out, uh, when when I got the email from uh, Dave saying the last copy had been sold from the website, I was flabbergasted. I was just like, "Wow!" <laughs> I, I, that's great for me to hear because I was just like, "It's amazing." I cried when I saw the post because I didn't realize that there was a hard copy to get a hold of yet. Yeah. Well, like I said, you know, don't get me wrong. I love having the digital copy. I just can't get you all to sign the digital copy. Well, I tell you what. Um, I, I tell you what. I, I do have a couple of uh, copies left, the hard copy. If you want, I'll be more happy to send you one. Okay. Andy, get this comic for me now. <laughs> I would be no. more than I would love to actually get a hard copy of it because that is going I have the perfect creature from the Black Lagoon picture frame to put it in. Awesome, awesome. Well we'll be very proud to hang on your wall. <laughs> that would be it would be very awesome to have on my wall. Now a lot of people, because this is probably your newest bit of work, may not know you for this particular type of work. A lot of people, the normal average people that aren't like you or I or anybody who actually listens to the show, may actually know you from this amazing little comic strip that happened to be one of the few things in the world that when I opened up my Sunday comics, I had to run and read it because it was one of my favorites to read. You write Dennis the Menace. Right. I'm well. I'm one of about thirteen gag writers, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm 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 on Dennis, and um, I, I have to admit that's I, I I used to think scaring the heck out of people was a great feeling, but just knowing that people are out there reading Dennis and smiling that's that's an even better feeling. I, I, run, I, mean, I, run, I run the range of emotion. I, I like to scare you, then I like to make you happy, then I like to scare you again. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> So you're you're half and half. You're kind of like me. Here's my half bubbly Archie comics, Harvey comics, and Disney. And then here's my other half tales from the crypt, uh, Cthulhu, Godzilla, and zombies. See, it's okay. You're allowed to be. Yeah, it depends on what your mood is. It all depends on what your mood is. And I, I have a lot of moods. <laughs> now, one of the cool things about you is you're you. This is not your first comic that you've ever written. You've written quite a few amazing actual comics and books, from Thor and Herc to um, you're doing um, adaptations of the Jungle Book, Oliver Twist, and Robinson Crusoe. Um, with and what's really cool about those is you're known for those comics because you actually rewrite a lot of the classics and you ended up mixing up the tradition. And what would you say is the experience with being able to do something like that? 
I think the, the greatest thing about it is being able to introduce uh, classic stories to kids. Um, the great thing about the graphic novels is is that uh, if you give a kid a copy of Oliver Twist, it's 480 pages. Um, they're going to look at it, and they're going to be intimidated, and they're not going to crack it open because they're going to think they're never going to get through it. But if you give them an 80-page comic book, they start reading it, and they are through it before you know, you know, you know what's happened. Um, time passes so quickly for them. And before you know it, they have discovered one of the classics. And then what you do is you tell them, well, you say, that's, that's the abridged version. If you like the story and you want to get the whole story, you've got to read the book. Um, and that's kind of what I like to do. I, I, li- I like to think of myself as being like a crack dealer. I'm like, I'm getting a kid out there with comic books, and before you know it, I'm going to move them up to short stories and novellas and novels. I'm not going to be happy until they're 90 years old on their deathbed and regretting the fact they only got their war and peace three times. <laughs> <laughs> I, want to, I, want to make, I want to make the next generation readers. And I'm a firm believer that comic books and graphic novels are a great way to do that. And that, that's why I was very proud to be involved with the, uh, the adaption of these books because it's great. And uh, like I said, they're, they're gateways. For, um, they're gateways because the kids will discover classic, classic stories, but at the same time, too, the parents don't feel so bad about giving them something like uh, Robinson Crusoe as opposed to, say, maybe a Batman or a Spider-Man comic book. But the main thing is we get kids reading both comics and classics, so it's a great thing. Very and awesome. I, I, I will say Jungle Book is, uh, the adaption for Jungle Book is probably my, my proudest accomplishment, even even uh, over Cemetery Plots, just because of how well-received it's been. The people who have seen it and come up to me and bought it and... I, I mean, I, I've run into people at conventions and signings that said they didn't know that I was the one who wrote this, and they bought it in their store because they looked through it and saw it and just thought it was wonderful. Uh, plus two, I'm just very proud of the fact that it's award-winning. We actually won an India Comic-Con Award for Best Artist, and it was actually nominated for Best Children's Publication. And that year, we were the only publication to be nominated for two awards. So I was very, very happy about that. Very nice. Something else that you had, had a little bit of fun with was um, an anthology um, that you contributed four short stories to with the great power um, an anthology that centers around the copy of Amazing Fantasy number 15, which actually features the origin and first appearance of the Amazing Spider-Man. Yes. Um, that was a great project to work on. Uh, a friend of mine came up with the idea. His name was uh, Rick Phillips. And Rick came up with this idea about what would happen if you had a copy of Amazing Fantasy, number 15, that went from one collector to the next. And um, he came to us and he asked all the contributors and said, uh, what I want you guys to do is come up with stories and we'll find a way to make it all work together. And uh, what happened was I originally pitched an idea. Actually, it was, it was, like I said, my friend Rodney Bennett did the cover for uh, Cemetery Plots. I actually named the character in the, the story – the first story after him, and um, basically it's about a young man that um, gets this as a reward from his, from his father, and uh, basically learns how to step up to become a hero in his own right against uh, local bullies, all because of Spider-Man. He's like, what would Spider-Man do? And he's like, you know, Spider-Man wouldn't back down. And in the face of great odds, he, he would step up. And uh, the second story I'd submitted for him was one about a blind cartoonist uh, who basically has become embittered and basically learns how to become part of the world again. And the idea is basically this is a guy who's gotten fame and fortune everything he ever wanted, and the last thing he purchased for the accident that cost him a sight was a copy of Amazing Fantasy number 15. <laughs> and it's like uh, this prize that's <laughs> going. 
Yeah. Um, and like I said, there are a couple of other stories in there that Rick needed just to kind of fill things out. Um, my personal favorite is one, and again, it's based on friends of mine that have run comic book shops about what happens when you get this fantastic book. Do you keep it? Do you do you keep it for yourself, or do you pass it along to pay the bills? And of course, our character in the story gets to own it for all the fifteen minutes. But uh, uh, the first thing he does is make sure he gets somebody to get a picture with him with the comic book, so he can prove that for fifteen minutes he owned that comic book. <laughs> I'd actually have to say, if I bought a comic book like that, it would stay with me, and then I'm going to be mummified, and it's going to be in my tomb for somebody to dig up many years from now. Well, what happened was is that the story before it was also mine, and this is about a guy who um, is basically he's he's really he's really a he's really a jackal. It's not the best way to put it. He's not a very nice guy, and this is like a last gift from an uncle who used to send him like little knickknacks. And he doesn't know what he has. He basically sells it to this guy, the comic book collector, for like 20 bucks for beer money. And later on, of course, he realizes what he had, and it goes from being, wow, that guy swindled me, to being, wow, I was stupid to give it up, to, wow, my uncle really loved me. And it's basically about uh, not realizing what you have at the time, not just the valuable, not just physically valuable things, but the people that are around you, the people that you should appreciate. And that, that was actually very bittersweet to write, but uh, I, was, I was very glad to very, very, very glad to have done all the stories in there. Now, I know you can't see it, and I realize it's just a story, but the moment that you told me you sold it for 20 bucks, I have this look on my face of, what? And I almost dropped the mic talking to you going, oh, wait, it's just a story. It didn't really happen. Wait a minute. <laughs> And I haven't even yep. read it. That's just that's just you telling me the story. Like I couldn't even imagine me reading it and be like, What? No <laughs> Yeah, this is just our guy who's just like, you know, I need twenty bucks. Can you give me twenty bucks for it? I just got hounded the other day because I forgot that I had this comic. Because I refuse to give anything away. I am a collector. I'm like one step from hoarder, except for I'm um, obsessive-compulsive, so everything has to be nice and neat. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there, and I saw Spider-Man 300, and I went, I have that comic. And somebody went, you want to sell it? No. I'll give you, okay, that's a lot of money, but no. And then, like, everybody's like, why didn't you take the money? Because it's my comic. Yeah. It's my comic. I, I spent my money when I got my my allowance that year, and I bought that comic. That's my comic. Can't nobody have it. It's going with me in my freaking coffin with all the rest of them. There you go. <laughs> I, I agree. I'm like, you know, if I, if I these days if I buy something, it's because I want it. I'm not looking at, like, resale or investment. I'm like, I want that particular item. And I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I, I don't understand people who do, like, the slabbing, you know, they'll buy a comic book, and you can't even read it. And I'm like, why did you even buy it for I mean, you can't read the thing. I mean, I get it. There are people that are true collectors. They buy the comic, they get it uh, graded, they put it in the hard plastic, it's never even had a breath on it, and they're collector collectors. I'm not that collector. I'm the collector who went, I enjoyed it, now I'm going to put it up and I'm going to keep it. And then maybe eventually someday I'll accidentally have a kid that's not furry and walks on all four legs 
And maybe they'll get it. If not, I'm taking it with me. I'm going to get mummification legalized in the United States, and I'm just going to have, like, this really cool King Tut tomb with all of my collectibles with me instead. There you go. You can take it with you. I, I'm a firm believer in that. Actually, we may have to, we may have to, that may actually become a premise for a cemetery plot story, so there you go. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad we're on the same page then. <laughs> Well, we need a mummy story. We need a mummy story, so there you go. Oh, yeah. Now, obviously, talking with you, you've been a comic book fan for many, many years to be. Do you actually remember the very first comic book you ever read? Um, The very first comic book I ever read, if I'm not mistaken, was actually a World's Finest. It was one of these um, old Dick Sprang issues that um, my godmother, God, gave me. she, that, um, that, um, that was one of the coolest adults I ever knew. Uh, she actually read comic books. And she would always bring me comics that she had read, and when she got finished with them, she'd bring them to me. And I remember flipping through this, and I remember seeing Superman and Batman on um, Super Friends, and I knew who these characters were. And I was, just, uh, I was just captivated by the images. I don't think I could read at the time, or could read all the, all the, uh, all the captions and all the, the word uh, balloons. But I remember being captivated by it. And I just thought to myself, wow. And from there on, I, I would always look forward to her coming and just getting these um, old copies of Superman, uh, old Shazam comic books. And when I was seven years old, I, I took the plunge and bought my first comic books myself, the, the first ones I ever picked out um, myself when I was a kid. I, I remember those very much. It was uh, Super Team Family number 15, uh, Fantastic Four Annual number twelve and Superman Family number one eighty eight. And I remember mm. my dad was looking at the prices. Yeah, because like Superman Family was like a dollar, the uh, Fantastic Four Annual was like sixty cents, and so was the uh, Super Team Family. And my mom's like, "Well, you know, it's cheaper than a toy, so let them buy it." And of course, my mom, my mom, my mom was a reader too. She she realized I was going to get hooked as a reader, so. She knew, she knew what she was doing. <laughs> and it's amazing because, you know, you look at those prices, 60 cents. Look at prices now. Five bucks. What? Oh, I know. I can I can still <laughs> remember the greatest the greatest story. I always tell you the greatest story of any comic that got away from me was Showcase number 100. I remember seeing the ads for this thing for months and just thought, wow, i got to get this comic book. And I found one at, the, like, one of the local spinner racks, the Little General, which is our, our version of 7-Eleven where I grew up at in Greensboro, North Carolina. And my dad bulked that, and he's like, well, 60 cents, you know, for 10 cents more, you can buy yourself a Batman and a, a, another comic book. So he talked me into doing that instead. And I never saw the book on the spinner rack again. Yeah. Of course, I, yeah. I, did, I did find the copy several years later for $4. You know, it's, it's a very good price. Uh, but no, I, I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced my dad was not already and already passed away. The price of comic books today would kill him. I, I, I think he'd be stunned. Especially if you showed him the price of a graphic novel. 19.99, Dad, for a comic. What? <laughs> well, one of, one of my happiest memories. Well, my, my dad passed away when I was 13. But one of my happiest memories is he actually took me to my first comic book convention when I was 12 years old, about, um, gosh, it was maybe about nine months or so before he passed away. And I remember he, he was, I don't think he ever quite got the comic book things or why they were important to me. He just knew that they were. But I remember him walking around looking at the prices, 
And it's like, well, why are you paying $2 for that Spider-Man when it's only 30 cents on the cover? Because Spider-Man such and such, Dad, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I remember the funniest thing was I wanted to buy a Spider-Man comic that was on display. And my dad's like, well, maybe he doesn't want to sell them. Maybe that's part of his display. The guy's like, no, 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 I'll sell it, I'll sell it. Here, here, I'll take your money, young man, please. (laughs) (laughs) Dad dad did not get the comic book culture or the comic book culture (laughs) mentality. It's like, everything's for sale. It's like, dude, everything's for sale. There ain't nothing yep. here to display. So I have to ask, right. what, what convention was it that you dad took you to, which was your first? Oh, gosh, this was a little um, one-day thing. Actually, believe it or not, they actually held it on Labor Day at uh, Haynes Mall in Winston-Salem, which is uh, about maybe 45 minutes. Where I'm at now, it's about maybe 45 minutes. Uh, when I was a kid, it was probably about a good hour drive. Um, but it was like... It's set up in the middle of the mall. There's, like, a few collectors here, and there's, like, nobody, no artists, no writers. It's just collectors that were out there selling their comic books. But uh, for me, that's the first time I'd ever been to something like that, and I was in heaven. I I just, I I had money that I'd saved up over the summer. I knew there were a couple of books I wanted to get, like Spectacular Spider-Man number one, or Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man number one. I wanted to get that first issue. And The Shadow number one from DC Comics. I knew I wanted those two books. And those were the first two I got, and everything else was just like, okay, that looks good, that looks interesting, that looks good, I like that. I'm I'm like I'm like somebody that goes to a Chinese restaurant. It's like I'll take some from you know column A, I'll take some from column B. It's just whatever trips my trigger at the time. Um, the last time I went to a convention, I was just looking around and found somebody that was selling some old Batman books from the 1960s for a good price, and I'm like, okay, Batman, okay, we'll grab those. <laughs> <laughs> And you have to love it because you still have the, I can hear it in your voice, you still have that fan mentality even though you're now in the business. Oh, God, I, I do. And that's that's one of the reasons why I love doing the shows. I love I love seeing folks that are just coming into the comics for the first time. And I'll admit, I, I do like being that gateway person, the person who gets them in the comic books and introduces them to it. But, um, no, I mean, I, I love it. I mean, there's, there's uh, still creators I get excited about. There are... When I when I discover like a, a Kurt Swan Superman comic that I've never seen before, or a Carmine Infantino Flash story I've never read, I'm like, I'm I'm 12 years old again, and uh, I I love discovering new things in comics. Uh, I I try for a while there I always thought thought of myself as being a little jaded, like maybe I I've gotten to a point in where nothing can surprise me anymore, and believe it or not, this is going to be a surprise, especially for folks that know me as a horror guy. A friend of mine just loaned me the Walking Dead graphic novels. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm reading these things. I'm blown away. I'm like, wow, these are better than I ever thought they could be. They are amazing. You know, mm-hmm. I, grew, I, I am a huge horror fanatic. Um, I, I started, my, I'll admit, my very first horror movie ever was Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. That's the one that got me into horror completely. But I love every aspect of it. But The Walking Dead is just brilliant, and and even even though there's changes from the comic to the television series, even the television series has done really well. And I appreciate both for exactly what they are. Well, the thing I like about it is is that it's not all horror and gore. It's the fact that there's a lot of just really good drama in there, and some really great characters. And I, I don't know. I've, I've always thought to myself, if you don't have really good characters in a story characters that you care about, characters that you are worried they may die, then really all you got is a special effects reel. You know, you, that, that's where it really has to start. If you don't care about the characters, 
then the story isn't going to suck you in the way it should. Uh, you, right. you, you still be entertained, but yeah, the characters are what really drive you. I mean, um, like I said, I watch Walking Dead, and I'm like, I've got my personal favorites on there. Um, I'll admit it, I'm a Daryl fan. I think Daryl's awesome. <laughs> um, Glenn, Glenn and Maggie. I mean, I'm rooting for those kids. I'm like, I want them to, I want them to make it. Oh yeah. There's some people that I'm not rooting to make for it, so that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know? That's true, too. There's a couple of them you're just I mean, like, when's this guy going to get it? And when's this guy going to bite the bullet, you know? <laughs> you know, when um, Carol died in the comic, I was like, okay, cool, whatever, don't care. She was irritating me anyway. Carol now on the television series? Oh, crap. She scares me. Carol's gone all warrior woman. I'm like, holy crap, Zena ain't got nothing on her. <laughs> no, I, not, by, not by a long shot. She... She's creepy scary. Like, and then when they started bringing out all those T-shirts with her with the cookies, I'm like, no, just stop. I'm gonna have nightmares of that woman. Just please stop. <laughs> <laughs> but you are right. You know, one of the things that a lot of people miss is they think that horror has to be all about the scare factor. And real, in all honesty, one of the scariest things in the world is how humans will react in a certain situation. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I've liked about Walking Dead is the fact that uh, it isn't necessarily the zombies. The zombies you know how to deal with. You hit them in the head, and they're down. It's some of the people that... I think think it was a line that Dale had to Shane about uh, this world was made for you, or you were were made for this world, this world of chaos, this world of brutality. And it's like thinking human beings, people that are after something, whether it's... um, your ammunition, your your food, your woman, or just for the thrill of killing you, you don't know what they think. You don't know how they're going to react. And, yeah, I'm, I'm a firm believer that sometimes the scariest monsters are the human ones. Oh, very much so. And I will be on, I'm going to be bluntly honest here. Okay, I'm not going to kill you over a woman. I may attack you over some food if I'm starving. And I'm going to go after you for some ammo. But if it comes down to me and you running away from zombies and I need to get away and one of us has to die so the other one can get away, I will shame you in an instant to get away. <laughs> I'm sorry. And that is my tagline. I took that from that show, and, yeah. and I've ran with it ever since. Ever since he shot Otis to get away, I'm like, dude, that's it right there. I will shame you in the zombie apocalypse if it comes down to me and you. Sorry. I, I didn't realize Shane had, uh, Shane had become a uh... – Term of action. That's cool. I like that. It, the funny thing is, I actually haven't seen anybody else do it, which is really odd because I've been saying it for so long, and I've been waiting for like the t-shirts and stuff to come up, and they still haven't come up. I really need to go. Hey, guys, do this, please. <laughs> I like it. I think it's cool. Well, Shane, Shane, for be on the show, Adele, you don't have to be the fastest thing on two legs. You got to be faster than somebody else behind you. That's that's all you got to do. <laughs> It's like, mm, let's see, who am I going to go out with? Um, I'll take the limpy guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm cool with that. I got this, no problem. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm just, I know I don't have, I have that animal survival of the fittest instinct very instantly would kick in, and, I will, you know, when it comes down to me and somebody else, I'm sorry. You could be my best friend or family member. I'm surviving one way or the other. I just have to. I understand. The well, only- well, you got to protect the collection. In all honesty, the only thing that I could see my heartstring being pulled at is my dog. They're like, oh, no, no, I got to go save my dog. They're like, seriously? Well, the dog matters. You don't understand this. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know, it's like, what was that? What was that horrible movie I was watching? Oh, Zombievers. Have you seen that yet? No, I have not. Uh, I, there's a lot of films I need to get caught up on. I, I am so so behind on a lot of stuff. Uh, they got a discount theater here. It's got the gallows. I'm thinking about going to see that this weekend, maybe. And oh gosh, what, what else was it? Um, I just, I just recently got a chance to watch uh, Dale and Tucker for the first time. That Love is that. such a great movie. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. When they go, when they go through the wind chipper, that wood chipper, that was great. I was like, uh, we need to rewind that and watch that in slow mo. That was just great. <laughs> but no, I was watching this horror movie, and believe it or not, my dog loves watching horror movies. She prefers monster movies like Godzilla or Gamera. But she'll watch a horror movie with me, and there's this scene, and this dude throws this dog into the water to get away, and, of course, the creatures eat the dog. And I have to cover my dog's eyes, and I tell her, you know, very softly, I will never do that to you, I promise. I'll pick one of the cats first. I, I was going to say, that's why that's I got me cats. <laughs> I, I have four, so. <laughs> I, I'm what? more of a dog person. I'm more of a dog person. I admit, I, I, I'm more of a dog. I, 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 I saw Don Johnson and a boy and his dog, and I'm like, I'm a dog person. I'll be honest, I have a cat that'll make you go, I could possibly be a cat person if it was that cat. But it has to be that cat, because that cat acts like it's a dog. Cool. Well, no, actually, I have seen cats that do act like dogs, and they they are the coolest of the cats, I think. They're the ones that they're just like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm just, I'm... I don't know. I don't want to say they act goofy, but they're just like, they don't have the attitude some cats do. It's just like, yeah. Now, the thing is, the thing is a cat, a cat would chain you in a zombie apocalypse. A dog, Very a much dog, so. a dog would stay by your side. That, that's that's just how I look at it. <laughs> so Why don't you get one of the stupid dogs and that you have to go, no, wait, stop. Oh, crap. Well, it's eight. <laughs> you know, the one that walks up to everybody and goes, oh, you're my friend. Oh, crap. No, you're not. Yeah, it's too late. Ah, dag nabbit. <laughs> Luckily, mine stays right by my side. Like this is my mommy, and I must protect it. So I'm lucky there. Oh. But yeah, a cat would definitely, especially one of mine, would definitely shame you an instant. Be like, uh, no, I'm getting away, and you're now the zombie fodder. So thank you very much. And what the? I fed you for all those years. I'll find a new owner. I'm cute and fluffy. There's a. The only good thing about it would be the cat might get caught by the zombies because the cat would have to stick around and watch you be devoured just for... (laughs) It's like, I never liked you anyway. Uh, I wish I I could take a picture of this, but I can't. Oh, my God, zombies are on me, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to ask you, because you are a horror fan, and we are talking a little bit about zombies, and I love bringing this up with anybody who actually really likes zombies. Do you say zombies are slow, or can zombies be fast? I, I'll be honest with you. I'm more of the old school. I like the idea of the zombies being slow and being lumbering because I figure they're dead. They're really not motivated. It's kind of like I, I like I like the idea of if it's like one or two, you can probably fight your way out. What I think is a really terrifying situation is if sheer numbers. If you've got like a few hundred of these things landing on top of you, no matter how slow they are. The sheer numbers are going to overwhelm you. Like that scene in The Walking Dead when Rick walks around the corner and is like, oh, crap. Exactly, exactly. Of course, now, then again, the, like the remake of um, Dawn of the Dead, I, I am a fan of the speedy zombies, too. Those are those are some pretty badass zombies right there. 
Now, see, I am a fan of them, but I like to think this, okay? Other than the remake of Dawn of the Dead, almost any other reincarnation of fast zombies, they're not actually zombies. They're a virus. Yeah. And so, for me, a zombie is that slow meandering about as fast as they're going to get is in George A. Romero's original Night of the Living Dead, where the one kind of, like, lumbers really quickly down the hill after the girl out of the cemetery, and that's about as fast as they can get. Um, Other than that, anything faster than that, it's not a zombie. It's a virus, and you're screwed. I figure, my my theory has always been with zombies, the more fresh they are as far as being dead, the faster and more limber they can be. I figure the the longer they've been dead, the more rigor mortis is going to sit in, the stiffers they're going to get. And they're still going to be moving, but it's going to get a lot slower. So I figure if you're going to go up against any of them, go against one that's been dead for a while as opposed to one that's, like, freshly dead. Because that's the one that you're gonna. That's the one that's still gonna have some motion in them. That one's still got some uh, some steam in them, I think. Yeah, but that one's gonna go squish really well because he's still fresh. It kind of be fun. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so then I have to ask you, zombie apocalypse. Do you go south or do you go north? Ooh, good question. Um, I would say probably north. Um, this is something I this is something I was I got from the from the Walking Dead comics. The whole idea about the colder it gets, the less movement these things have. I figured the more uh warm temperatures, the more they're able to get around. I figured the colder it gets, the harder it's gonna be for them to move. I figure yeah. go someplace up, you know, someplace really snowbound year round, I think you're gonna be pretty much safe. So you're thinking I'm going to Alaska. I'm thinking Alaska. Of course, then again, it's nighttime there for how many days out of the yeah. year? So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Could be a little creepy at night, even if they are frozen to the ground. Even though I can see that, you know, they get frozen to the ground, you're able to pop them off real quickly, not a problem. You know, me, unfortunately, I can't stand the cold. I'm I'm only effective at about 75 degrees after uh, it has to either be 75 or hotter. So I have to go south. I'm going to go find me a little oil rig, and I'm going to stand on that. Well, I figure, you know, maybe like a tropical island, someplace that hasn't got a lot of people on it or has never had that many people, something that's uh, surrounded by water so you know that they can't get on there. Well, there's nothing that they can't get on there. I mean, we saw in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, even though those weren't actually zombies, that, well, they are kind of. They're like cursed zombie, they could walk underwater, and I don't see it, and we saw it in um, Land of the Dead, they can walk underwater. That's why I chose Oil Rig, because those guys are going to have to come up some way, and I've already got rid of the original ladder, now I have this pull-up ladder, which means they're going to have to actually walk up the pillars, which comes up through the middle, and um, where are they going to go from there? Because if they try to start breaking in the ground, that's uh, kind of steel, and that's going to be quite difficult. Very true. First and again, they're dead, so what else they got to do? Yeah, true. Plus, if any human comes around, because you know they're coming on a boat, I can pay them off with a sniper rifle real easy. Oh, you're dead. There you go. Yeah. All you got to do Sorry. is just have enough, just enough I'm ammunition. I'm my contingency plan a little bit. <laughs> well, I figure you can, well, I figure you can also go to Canada, because that's cool, but then again, you've also got very polite zombies. Even if they're zombies, they're still going to be polite, uber polite, because they're Canadian. So there you go. 
Yeah, only problem with Canada is I have a friend that lives up there, and she has way too many spiders in her house, and during the apocalypse, all those spiders are getting out. Uh Uh-uh. I am more deathly afraid of a spider than I ever will be of a zombie. Ooh, zombie spiders. I think I know the first military one. No, no. (laughs) See, you're one of the few people who haven't heard the story of Amanda was out to catch the alligator and her friend picked up the spider and put it in her face and Amanda ran towards the alligator and got bit by the alligator. Wow. Yeah, I was definitely more afraid of that spider than I ever was of that alligator. (laughs) The story for Cemetery Blossom is writing itself, even as I speak. There you go. I like it. <laughs> Amanda, you're doing, you're, Amanda, you're doing most of my work for me. There you go. <laughs> Not a problem. I am so glad that I could help. You know, I'll take a little small credit way down there with a the little asterisk, like in the old comics. Here, see, issue, da 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 da. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Now, with everything that's going on, I know that you've been to a few comic book conventions. Weren't you at Space this year? I was not. Um, I wasn't at that one, uh, but Andy and Dave, that's where they actually premiered uh, Cemetery Plot at. Yeah, okay. I know that they were premiering it at Space because I came that close and then something came up and I didn't get to go to that convention. Um, Do you have any conventions that you're going to later this year? Actually, I do. Um, I've got a convention that's going to be coming up. It's the Fayetteville Comic Con, which is going to be in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Uh, That is coming up on October the 17th. And I've also got a convention coming up on, it's actually one I'm doing with one of the local libraries. It's uh, the Troy, North Carolina Library uh, Halloween Minicon. We're doing like a little mini convention for the kids uh, in the area on Halloween Day. We're going to be at uh, the Troy Library in North Carolina from uh, 12 noon until 4 o'clock. Very nice. And where can people find you or the work that you do on social media-wise and online? Well, usually uh, the best place to keep up with me is on Facebook. Um, you can go to um, Dan Johnson on Facebook. Um, currently, uh, look for the guy with the 1949 Batman uh, as his profile pic. And my cover is um, Your Universe Spock giving a mind mill to Barney Fife. <laughs> I'm really Which not that hard to find. You do know that today is the anniversary of Star Trek, the original series, right? 49 years, I know. I well, know. I, 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 almost, I almost thought about doing my little joke post. I do it every few years, which is basically talking about the, the show that changed America, changed the landscape of television. And today's the day we salute that show because it premiered on this day in 1966, September 8th. And it's that girl. Oh, and Star Trek we were too. So there you go. <laughs> yep, yep. Just had to throw that. There had to throw in my little bit of geek in that one. But, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, Facebook, uh, by all means, friend me, follow me. Uh, I, I try not to talk about anything too seriously on my Facebook page. I, I, I like mentioning what's coming up for me as far as convention appearances, what's my, what my projects are. Otherwise, I usually post about comic books, geek stuff, um, geek culture. I, I just figure everybody likes to argue about religion, and they like to argue about politics and real-world stuff on Facebook, and I'm like, I, I, I don't like drama on my wall. I'm just like, I like even light and frothy. Politics, politics. Oh, that's in Superman, Batman versus Superman, where Superman is actually going to be held accountable for the damages he did, right? That's politics. It, well, uh, I don't know. I've got my opinion about Superman versus Batman versus Superman. I, 
as, as, a DC, as a DC boy, as somebody who grew up on DC comic books, I'm just thinking to myself, this is way too dark. This, this looks way too dark to be... This, this is not the Superman-Batman movie I wanted when I was 12 years old. I'm like... I, uh, well, of course, you got to remember, I, I'm old school. I can remember when Batman used to crack a smile every now and then. <laughs> I have a comic with Batman holding a gun. Yeah. Well, that's that's that'd probably old school, like 1930s, but of course, that could also be <laughs> modern. I'll, well, Frank Miller did that when Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, I have, I have, um, I have some of the old school ones where uh, Lex Luthor had red hair, and he was a hairy redheaded man, and Superman actually did kill people in the old comics, and Batman had a gun, and it's amazing because everybody forgot this because everything got revamped, and everybody only knows the newer stories. Superman's the golden Captain America boy, and Batman will never use a gun, and I'm going, I have proof otherwise. I really do. Oh, I know. Well, those that first year or so, especially with Superman and Batman, before they really, I think before they really took off in popularity, before they realized what they had, I think, uh, yeah, because I, I can remember stories of Superman threatening um, the bad guys. Well, I mean, you got them lifting their car over his head and smashing the heck out of it. And, oh, yeah. And kind of getting off on scaring the hell out of Lois Lane after she rebuffed Clark Kent. It's like, Superman kind of had a little bit of a sadistic side. And yeah, yeah Batman. Batman was not a, not afraid to kill people. No, he wasn't. And a lot of people forget those. Um, so other than Facebook, I know that there's EmpireComicsLab.com. Um, are you guys using any other social media like Instagram, Twitter, anything like that? Uh, I think Dave and Andy are on Twitter, uh, and I think I think they may be using Instagram too. I'll be honest. I I'm still very old school when it comes to communications. Uh, I, I I mean I I didn't have a Facebook page until about a few years ago, and that's that's really the only way I, I really keep up with people. Although um, I do have um, work that I do with Charlton Neo um, Publishing, and from time to time I'll post uh, convention appearances there, and um, we'll have like photos from conventions on that website as well. Like if I'm promoting something for uh, for them at a convention. Nice. All right. Everybody, go find Dan Johnson over on Facebook and check out EmpireLabsComics.com. And Lab, Comics Lab, not Comic Lab. Comics Lab. Why do I always mess that up? I have no idea. I'm changing the name of the company. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Not a problem. Not a problem at all. (laughs) I know what I meant. But definitely check this out. Um, like you said, you can still buy the digital copy of Cemetery Plots Number One over on um, Empire Comics Lab. And you said it was how much? One ninety nine. Oh, uh, just ninety nine cents. Ninety nine cents. Less than a dollar. Okay, that is like the cheapest digital copy comic ever because everything else was like one ninety nine. See, here I am trying to make you more money. Look at me. Oh, I'm just. I'm just rolling it out for you, this interview. <laughs> I need to hire you full time. And um, like he said, he's going to be at Fayette, uh, in Fayette, the Fayetteville Comic Con in October. October 17th. Mm-hmm. And uh, October. Uh, Rodney, Rodney Bennett, our cover artist on Cemetery Plots, will be out there too. Very nice. And I know um, Andy Cordy, who worked on the comic, he will actually be at the Cincinnati Comic Con in Covington, Kentucky this weekend. So you can always, if you have a copy of this or you want to learn more about Cemetery Plots, you can go meet up with him down there because I'll be there. 
So might have to get a little bit of few words in with him now that uh, I'm going to be able to be around him because I missed him that space, and he hasn't been at any of my other conventions yet this year. Shame on him. Oh, good. <laughs> All right, <laughs> well, Dan, we are actually hitting our one-hour mark, so I want to say thank you so much. It has been an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. I had so much fun discussing zombie apocalypse strategies with you. <laughs> I had a ball, man. Thank you. I, oh, like my. Said, it was a, my honor to come on. I, I appreciate it. And thanks for letting well, us talk about Cemetery Plots and all the other projects that are out there in the works. But it was amazing to talk with you, and you're more than welcome to be on the show anytime. Just give me a holler, and I'm always here. And, of course, everybody, if you want to learn more about AGP or what's coming up next, you can always follow me at Amanda Gillum on Facebook. That's spelled like William, but with a G instead of a W. Or you can find me on Twitter at LadyVader79. I hope to see you all next Tuesday. I have the amazing Sean Forney, who is making his second appearance ever on AGP. He has not been on this show since 2012. It has been quite some time, and we have a lot of catching up to do with that man. And on that night, on that note, good night, everybody. Sweet, scary dreams. And I'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. Hey, Mel, Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty. Daddy! Hey, Mikey, if you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget just as soon as. What? Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart, Brian.